The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Um, had a game where we were able to have to lead the whole game, and so I, I the night before I, I told the guys that um, you know I was really hoping that we'd get some off, uh, adversity in this game, and like I want to see how we respond um, to a deficit, and apparently they just took me way too literal. Yeah, I would say that the kind of adversity that Mike McDaniel was anticipating that his team would encounter did not entail a 21-point deficit in the fourth quarter, culminating in a back-breaking touchdown run by Lamar Jackson that had Twitter explode with pay that man, which it was over, it was done. Any other time, any other game you ever see, a team goes up 21 points, with that kind of a play from one of the best players in the NFL, and it is over. The problem is the Ravens' defense agreed and acted accordingly. <laughs> and poor John Harbaugh, one of the best coaches in the NFL, dude, you got to keep your guys focused for 60 minutes. That's the cardinal sin of coaching, letting your guys take their foot off the gas prematurely and letting the team back into it. No lead is safe in the NFL, including 21 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's funny because I feel like we saw this all over the NFL yesterday where it's like, okay, you see something and you're like, boom, that team, they got it. It's done. It is finito. And then the other team gets paid too, right? And players talk about this all the time. The other team gets paid too. They're still good. Like, boy, they're one of the best this, that, and the third in the league. And we hear this from Wednesday through Friday when guys are talking to the media in the locker room or at the podium. And then we get to Sunday and just for whatever reason, it seemed like there were all these lapses across the NFL, but especially when you talk about the Dolphins. Like this was a really, really wild victory in large part to me because the Baltimore Ravens did not have any turnovers. And so like, how do you defeat a team when you're down like that, that late in the game with no turnovers? got to use speed. You got to score within 90 seconds, two times like that's What the Dolphins did yesterday is mind bending. Well, and the idea that the Ravens just kept letting Tyreek Hill run by them like they were surprised. 
They didn't trade for Tyreek Hill <laughs> yesterday during the game. They got him in March. Hey, hey, Ravens, you you are going to be dealing with Tyreek Hill. He's not going to tap out of the game when you're down. Yeah, you know he did that. He did. That's that's supposed to be taunting, but he's perfected Nobody a way to forward. do it. Did it he's, he's 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 found a way to kind of keep it down and like this and it's not really taunting like I'm not doing it at you I'm doing it this way but still a little bit of at you uh but it was incredible Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill are the first teammates in league history to have 10 receptions 150 or more receiving yards and two touchdowns in the same game that's never happened before and I have a feeling it may not be the last time it happens for this team and the straw that stirs the drink is Tua Tagovailoa. We got to give him his props. Six touchdown passes, six touchdown passes yesterday, and he's now eight and one against Super Bowl winning coaches. Eight and one. I told Coach Dungey last night, "Don't come out of retirement. He's going to get you next." <laughs> yeah, he is. Also noting, he's the first Dolphins QB to throw for six touchdowns in a game since Dan Marino in 1986. Before I was even born, Mike. Five years before I was born. But it did happen. But it did happen. Even though you were not born yet, it happened. (laughs) Yes, that's true. But no, I mean, two was great. And, and, you know, you did have two picks. But, like, when you're able to engineer a comeback like that, it has to start with the QB. The QB's got to be able to make the throws. And to his credit, Tungabailoa was able to do that. He was able to get the ball into spaces where Tyreek Hill or or Jalen Waddle could catch it and then sometimes run with it or just catch it and get themselves into the end zone. It, It was a really, really strong performance by Tua. And you know what? If you are a Dolphins fan, if you are a member of Tua Non, you should be feeling pretty darn good about your quarterback today. I don't know if you'll be feeling the same way in three weeks, but today, go wear it, man. Go out and strut. You earned it. Well, my email box was overflowing yesterday with communications, um, charitable and uh, uh, happy and good-natured from Dolphins fans who wanted to remind me of all the things I've said about Tua. Look, I, I've just I expressed appropriate skepticism based upon what we saw from him his first two years. He has changed. He has matured. He has improved. We saw it in the preseason. He's showing up early at the game. He's doing all of his stuff before the game, going through the motions. Mike McDaniel was happy to see that. That's a change from last year. And the guy who hasn't been mentioned yet, but I'm going to mention him now, Daryl Bevel, the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator, the buzz is building, that he's had something to do. That's the worst gritty ever. He's had something to do. That's Mike Gusecki after a touchdown catch, but he's had something to do with Tua getting better. And Tua really has improved. you got to give him credit. He was criticized because of where he was based on two NFL seasons. And now he is much better. It helps have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. But still, he's firing that ball down the field. He's kind of hitting Tyree Kill in stride. Kind of, not quite, but it doesn't matter. You don't have to hit him in stride when he's 10 yards behind the defense. But Tua Tua has been playing phenomenally well. There's one where it's it's in stride, kind of. There's the deuces that he's not not getting flagged for. But... uh, Incredible. And and let me just mention this since we're on the topic. The Jalen Waddle game-winning touchdown. Waddle admitted to me, he called it a little remix. He admitted that he changed his route. There he goes. He's cutting out. He sees the opening in the middle. He ad-libs and cuts in, and Tua sees it and reacts accordingly. And Waddle said, we got that chemistry all the way back to Alabama. That's what happened. That was not the play that was called. That was not the route that was called. Waddle freelanced to that in after he cut out. It was a pick. And instead of continuing out, 
he cut back in and found a spot into a that that's that's growth, that's maturity, that's savvy, that's flexibility, that's finding things that aren't supposed to be there. Tua is maturing before our eyes. So Dolphins fans and some Dolphins fans said I should apologize to them. Why would I apologize to you? <laughs> Why? That that makes no sense. Okay. If I apologize to anybody, it'll be to Tua and. I still don't apologize because we were assessing him based upon what we saw. He's better now, and so now we praise him. Yeah, look, I don't think that there's anything wrong with criticizing people based on the what the product that they put on the field, and that's kind of what we were doing before. Um, I, I think that when you talk about those things and that chemistry that he has with Jalen Waddell, that, that reminds me of what coaches like to say, that we love it when players take ownership. And they always like to talk about this, you know, when players take ownership and when the players feel like it's theirs, then that's when we can really start getting to where we want to go. And I think that's a really good example of it because sometimes you see players and they get on the field and they are very locked into what the structure is. Chris Collinsworth was talking about this last night with Mike Tirico on the broadcast of Sunday night football, where if you're thinking and you're like, you take dance lessons, right. And you're going one, two, three, one, two, three, right. You're not really going through everything the way that you could, if you were not thinking about it, where it's just really natural to you. And sometimes I think that's what happens when you get these guys who are college teammates before, and they have those, you know, built in reps of, okay, we've done this. We've done something like this. We've been in this situation before we've been in that situation before. And I trust you. And I know that if I do something, you're going to understand what it is that I'm doing and you're going to be able to play right off of it. And, and when you have now Jalen Waddle and Tua Tagovailoa doing those kinds of things on the field in a game-winning situation, you know, to come complete this crazy, crazy comeback, I think that says something about their chemistry. But it also says something about the way Mike McDaniel has presented a system that works for them, right, and that works very well for them and allows them to take ownership. So. It's a really, you should have some real good vibes if, if you're a Miami Dolphins fan right now, because the fact that they made that comeback is great, but the how they did it also really should be encouraging. You, they came and they took that from the Ravens, right? They, they, the Ravens did not give that thing away quite, you know, literally in terms of giveaways, right? The, 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 the Dolphins really had to take that. So I think that should make you feel good. I don't advise falling behind by 21 points in the fourth quarter on a regular basis, though, because the next time around, uh, if it happens this week, oh, let's say when the Bills come to town, they'll be more prepared to not let their guard down and let them back into it. Yes. By the way, it's at the Bengals after that on a Thursday night. How about that game coming up? Mm. September 29, Dolphins at Bengals. What a great way to finish the first month of the season, at least the first calendar month of the season. Looking forward to that one. Looking forward to watching the, the Dolphins, focusing on the Dolphins and nothing else because they are a fun team to watch. Another fun team to watch, the Arizona Cardinals, although yeah, Mark Davis actually did not go to the game yesterday of the Las Vegas Raiders. He went to the Las Vegas Aces game against the Connecticut Sun. Aces won the WNBA, the first pro sports championship ever for Las Vegas. Davis was there. Probably has no regrets he wasn't at the football game because even though it looked like things were going well for his Raiders, up 20 to nothing, the Cardinals found their groove. The Cardinals came back and stole the game in overtime. 16 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. That, to me, was probably the most stunning outcome of the day because the Dolphins were capable 
of coming back. They've got you, you look at them and say, yeah, they could do it if the Ravens give them an opening. I just thought the Cardinals were so down and out after the first game and a half that there was no hope that they'd find the gas pedal, and they did, Miles. Well, they, they did, and I mean, you know, I've been as critical of Cliff Kingsbury as anybody, but look, uh, he, he deserves some credit for making sure that the Cardinals stayed the course and were able to come back in that game. And look, Kyler Murray did some crazy, crazy Kyler Murray things. I mean, that one two-point conversion that they had midway through the fourth quarter it really kept them in it where he's just standing back there and, you know, the Raiders are doing their best to cover guys in the end zone on a two-point conversion. But, like, if there's no pass rush to speak of, then, like, this is the kind of stuff you're going to get. It's ridiculous how long this takes. And you know what? I love Patrick Graham. I think he does a pretty good job. But why aren't you sending Chandler Jones and Max Crosby? Like, I, this is the problem. You've got two dudes who are, like, really, really big dudes, and they're trying to chase around this little guy in Kyler Murray who is faster than them, much faster than them. And there's only so long that you can cover until, like, something bad is going to start happening. And so I... I understand the approach, but I also don't understand the approach when you have guys like Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, where in that situation, like they need to be getting after Kyler Murray. I did the informal count there, you know, basketball referee style where they go on, you know, I always love uh, that too. You know, 15 seconds is how long that play it's took crazy. Based upon my unofficial basketball referee count of, huh, two. So that's it's unbelievable. And here's Kyler Murray talking about taking over the game in the second half, which is what he absolutely had to do to deliver the victory. That, that was my mindset was take over. Um, whatever it took to win, um, that, that was the mindset. I mean, we know what type of team we are. Um, it, it's disappointing when we come out and play like that. Uh, but we, we know what type of team we are. Um, when we finish, we fight, we fight, we fight, and uh, we finish strong today. Um, all that matters really, though, is we got the win. That's, that's, uh, that's all that matters. Apparently, there would be many uncalled 10-second violations if I were a basketball referee because it was not 15. It was 20.8. So I need to accelerate my, my cadence yeah. for the, uh, the uh, informal clock. 20.8 yeah. seconds on that two-point conversion. And he was phenomenal. At a time when we were ready to write him off, after – the off-season noise about the study clause and how bad they looked against the Chiefs. And, and that, that's the thing. We, we want to lock into a narrative about all teams as quickly as we can because then we don't have to think anymore for the rest of the season. This isn't going to be one of those years. This is going to be one of the, those years where every week we learn something new and every week I'm not going to want to go back and look at my picks, especially not against the spread, because I think yesterday was classic do the opposite day. I think yesterday was a disaster for me. I don't want to know. I, I dread the next picks podcast with Sims because we go over our record from the prior week right out of the gates, and I, I'm going to have to plug my ears and say I'm not listening. Yeah, that sucks for you, man. I mean, I don't make picks, so I don't really have to worry about that. I need that. to go back. I need to go back to not <laughs> making picks. Yeah, you might be better off. Um, look, I, I think that you can't just erase though the six quarters that the Cardinals had to begin the season. Like, and they were bad, and like they were very ugly. And I don't know that you can just erase that just based on what they did against the Raiders team that couldn't finish. 
right? And maybe there is some other stuff that's going on with Las Vegas. I don't know. But when you have this on fourth and goal as time expires, and you had a play a couple of plays before where Max Crosby had a chance to shut that thing down. And one of the criticisms I have about Max Crosby, as good of a pass rusher as he is, he doesn't finish enough. You know, he's a guy that will get to the passer and will affect the passer a lot of times, but then he doesn't get the sacks. And so when it's fourth and four and you have that opportunity to pick up the sack and you don't get it, then that's a problem. When you get to overtime and it looks like the Raiders are going to be able to somehow pull that thing out and you get Isaiah Simmons on Hunter Renfro, Clemson on Clemson crime, no relation to Isaiah Simmons right here. And Murphy gets the fumble, returns it all the way to the end zone and the Cardinals are walk-off winners. So, like that's why the Cardinals, you know what? You have a lot better vibes going into things at one and one than you would at zero oh and two with uh, a really, really bad starting six quarters. And the Raiders, they're zero oh and two, and I thought that they would make the playoffs, and I still kind of think that they will. I mean, like you know, you don't really have a good history of zero oh and two teams making the postseason, but they got to get their stuff corrected and quick. Well, and that every stat that we heard about 0-2 teams in the postseason goes out the window when we go to 17 games. It just does. It all changes. Right. It all resets when you have an extra game to dig your way out of the hole. It's 0-2 and, and, oh, I only have 14 left. Now it's 0-2 and, and, oh, I have 15 left. Can we play the final moment of that Raiders-Cardinals game again, please? Because there was something that I saw that needs to be shared with the people. Not just the way the ball came out, because Hunter Renfro evaluated for concussion because he got rocked here, and that's how the ball came out. Watch on the sideline. That, I believe, is Adrian Wilson in a suit, sprinting. Now watch. There's a former Cardinals defensive back, Adrian Wilson. Now watch what he does. Watch what he does. He goes out the tunnel like Bo Jackson. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Game over. No need to go celebrate. I'm not messing up my suit. I am gone. Bye-bye. And there go the Cardinals with the victory. That really was something. That's one of those where, and you know, especially the 4 o'clock games, because we're getting ready for a TV show that I suspect not many people watched until that game was over yesterday, but them's the breaks. I, I think that uh, that's one of those that is going to be front and center. I got to watch that whole game start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had that one on my second screen as I was uh, covering Rams uh, Falcons for most of the time. I you know used to cover the Raiders, so I'm still interested in what they do. And I like to see what Kyler Murray is going to do too. And that was just an intriguing matchup to me, but it was one of those games where you're like, Oh, the, the Raiders are going to do this. The Raiders are going to pull this out. The Raiders are fine. The Raiders are fine. The Raiders are fine, right? The Raiders are fine, right? No, they're, they this weren't. This is fine. And, you know? This is yeah. fine. Yeah. This is, well, yeah. This is fine. Exactly, yeah. yeah. McDaniels was the fire dog. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to finally know that it is a dog, or at least it was a dog, because it melts in the flames after it says this is fine a few times. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, your, your Rams tried to join the list of – teams blowing big leads yesterday oh, they too they tried did. they tried but they they failed to fail the browns succeeded to fail brownie the elf not good luck in his return i think it's i don't know what brownie is other than an elf but brownie's in the middle of the field he's a, and he's a brownie there's there's with, a whole history of this thing and i don't i need to i need to do right the right now, but, no that's fine yeah. that's fine 155 to play the Browns are up oh, by 13 points, and here come the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, 
Jets. Unbelievable. Two touchdowns in the final two minutes. An onside kick recovery, which supposedly doesn't happen anymore. The Jets managed to get it back. The game-winning touchdown pass to Ohio native Garrett Wilson from Columbus. I spoke to him after the game. We'll talk about that coming up. But what a win this was for the Jets. And there's Brownie. Everything that Robert Sala said last week about keeping receipts, you know, it seemed kind of hokey. That was meant for his team. And it worked. It got them in the right mindset. And they did not give up when they were down 13 points late, Miles. Oh, you just, they show that Nick Chubb play. That Nick Chubb touchdown, so frustrating. Uh, you know why? Because that's a situation where you win the game, right? There was a, a game a while ago, a long time ago, where a head coach said after a Cleveland Browns New York Jets game, you play to win the game. Hello? And oh, that, not Nick a good Chubb, day for him. No, no, not a good day for him. No, no, he got fired uh, yesterday, so he's not a guy to invoke. <laughs> Well, I mean, the Browns lost, so that's why I'm saying this. When Nick Chubb went into the end zone on that last touchdown, he gave the Jets the opportunity to win the game. I I mean, I wrote about this at PFT last night. Kevin Stefanski said that it's on him to communicate to the players, okay, in this situation – The time is more important than the points. Don't score. He didn't do it. And immediately when he did it, I sent a text and I was like, man, Nick Chubb probably shouldn't have scored there because that is the only opportunity that the Jets have to get back in this game. There's 155 left on the clock when he went into the end zone. If he just goes out of bounds at the one yard line, the Browns win the game. The Jets had no timeouts left. I mean, we, Sean McVay used to call this a Rolex situation, and they would call Rolex Rolex because it means the time is more important than the points. And it's just, ah, it's so frustrating to me. Like, and this, I guess, is where the Cleveland in me still comes out. It, like, makes me sick when I see, like, guys, this is a situation that you should know. You've done it before. They did it against Houston a couple of years ago when Nick Chubb stepped out of bounds at the one-yard line, and people and their fantasy teams were so mad because Nick Chubb didn't get them a touchdown. Like, it is so easy to be able to coach these things, especially when you've done it before. Now, that does not absolve the Browns' defense in any way, shape, or form, or the special teams for not being able to make sure that onside kick didn't work. But goodness gracious, when you have an opportunity to win the game, just win the game. Ah, uh, man, it's frustrating to me. Only McVeigh, only McVeigh would call that situation Rolex and not Timex. The second Timex <laughs> reference in one hour today. But only McVeigh would upgrade from the Timex to the Rolex. But you're right, that blows the game. That opens the door. And that's the thing that... that this is the difference between a game that is stuck in the 1 p.m. Eastern scrum and a standalone primetime game. Because if that game had happened last night or tonight or Thursday night, it's all we would have been talking about is how Kevin Stefanski blew it for the Cleveland Browns. We'd be talking about the comeback too, but that moment becomes a much bigger storyline because we're all paying attention to it at the same time. There's no way to hide. There's no way to have it overlooked or just kind of subsumed within every other crazy thing that happened yesterday because the Dolphins are going on at the same time, et cetera. So right. um, Stefanski's going to be hearing it, though. That That's a game the Browns should have won, and every one of these games they win without Deshaun Watson is money in the bank 
for when Watson returns. So uh, Browns now one and one, and they're either going to be two and one or one and two or maybe one, one and one after Thursday night against the Steelers. Let's take a break. Superlatives time when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Listen, I'm fired up. Carlos, I am. I'm Yes, I love it. Three sacks. I hope we get three more. He gives us three more next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. And I haven't seen the tape, but just for, just from what I saw out there and how everything was run and the stunts, and I thought he did a great job. I did. So I'm not like I'm down on him or something. I thought he did a great job, but I thought all those guys did too. They all funneled them to each other, you know? That's Dan Campbell, coach of the Lions. They had the big win over the Washington Commanders, and they tried to let the Commanders back into it, up 22 nothing at halftime. Commanders chipping away, but the Lions slamming the door. Aiden Hutchinson with those three sacks. Maybe he will be one of the superlatives as we get into the Week 2 awards. Miles, you're up. Uh, well, I, I will give a superlative here that is not necessarily positive, but I just feel like I got to say it. And it's the Colts house of horrors. Like what in the world happens when the Colts go down to Jacksonville? I don't know, but they look like the worst team in football yesterday. They get shut out by the Jaguars 24 to nothing. Matt Ryan looked like, you know, one of those guys that, you know, it's time to send them to the farm upstate. I mean, the Jaguars played incredibly, but the Colts also played so poorly. I mean, they were getting after uh, Matt Ryan. You know, they were intercepting passes, but the Colts just didn't do anything offensively. And you had Frank Wright come out there and he's calling it a pathetic performance. This is the kind of stuff that starts to get coaches and front office folks fired. And if you're a Colts fan, I understand why you would have some concerns today. And if you're Jim Irsay, I also would understand why you'd have some concerns today. You can't just fire Carson Wentz after losing to Jacksonville this time. You went with the, it's time to go to a farm up state reference instead of the glue factory, I think, which you mentioned on Twitter. Yesterday for Matt Ryan, which is fitting. If you're gonna, if you're going to call your team the Colts, you open the door to the. Uh, the I remember when I was a kid, and I I became horrified when I learned, and I don't know that they ever really did it or that they still do, but that glue was horses. Uh, that was uh, kind of horrifying uh, for me to learn. Uh, even more horrifying than learning that wrestling wasn't real. How about Ursay after the game? This was a point that I think we were sharing on the PFT text chain. He's out there signing footballs. Who wants an autographed football from Jim Irsay? (laughs) No. I am curious. (laughs) I I mean, really, really. Is this something that the average football fan aspires to add to their collection of memorabilia? I have a football signed 
by Jim Irsay. I just, I'm, I really don't know. Are there, I'm not being a smart ass. Are there people out there that need to have a football signed by Jim Irsay? I mean, I've had people ask me to sign footballs and I'm like, are you really? If you want it, I'll do it. But (laughs) I, I, I'll make it worth less than it currently is. If you want me to deface it, I'm happy to do it. But I just, it just seemed odd to me that that was Irsay's post game vibe. So, hey, the only audience that matters is him, Miles, and he seemed to yeah. be fine with everything yesterday, right? Maybe he's grown accustomed to losing in Jackson, but he just accepts it, that that's an annual ritual for the Colts now. Yeah, eight straight times that they have lost in Jacksonville, which is crazy. Last victory was 2014. You know what year that is, Mike? That's the year I graduated college. <laughs> that is depressing. That's that that is that is at least I wasn't 50 yet but I was pretty damn close um this is the you aren't good enough to suck award and this goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers because they could have won yesterday they could have beaten the Patriots and the way the Steelers are going to win games is with total team effort and being opportunistic and making things happen and avoiding big mistakes and there was a sequence it was just a few plays apart where Cameron Sutton, Steelers defensive back, had an interception in his hands. You have to catch that ball if you're Cameron Sutton. And I don't want to hear, well, that's why he plays defense. No, no, no. They all got the gloves on. You should be able to make that catch if you're an NFL defensive back. That would have given the Steelers an opportunity. It would have given them a lift. They could have taken the ball down the field. They could have scored, and they could have won the game. And then, to make matters worse, Gunnar Olszewski, former Patriot, giving the Patriots the gift of gifts with a muffed punt, giving them a short field, and allowing them to put the game, as a practical matter, out of reach. The Steelers are not good enough to suck in those moments. You need to turn those moments into your advantage and keep them from becoming a huge advantage for your opponent. Steelers and Patriots are a lot alike. They're not good enough to come out and beat you. So they have to take advantage of mistakes and not make the mistakes. And yesterday, in that short window, the Steelers didn't take advantage and then gave the Patriots the opportunity that they took advantage of game over. Yeah, it was one of those sequences where it's like, okay, you can understand that this is a clear turning point in the game. And when you don't make those plays that are there to be made, I mean, that was a tailor-made interception for Cam Sutton. He's on a knee. He's just got to make the catch. You know, like the defensive backs talk about it when they drop an interception like that. It's like, oh, man, you just dropped the money. And like he dropped money for him like as a contract, but he also really just dropped a win. I mean, look at this play. It is tailor made for him. You know, it's second down right there. And then they get the punt in the next couple of plays. But yeah, it just that is a huge, huge thing that they did not do. And when you don't make the plays, then that's eventually what's going to happen to you. Um, Let me go with my uh, next one here. And I'm going to go back to Thursday night for this superlative because it's week two. So I still get to talk about it. And I'm going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs because for them, it's still my division. And it's going to be my division until somebody else comes and takes it from me. And the Chargers had an opportunity to do it, but they couldn't get it done. And, you know, when you get a 99-yard interception return by Watson, he's a rookie, he does the thing that he needs to do, takes advantage of the opportunity, like, that's huge. And that's the kind of thing where you say, yeah, Kansas City is still the class of the AFC West. And until somebody proves that they can go in there and take it from them, it is still 
Kansas City's division. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. We forget about the Thursday night game. It's such a focal point in Friday's overall discussion, and then we reset and we we get caught up in Sunday, and we forget all about Thursday. But the Chiefs continue to be the class of that division. They're two and zero. Everybody else is one and one, and they've already got some separation in the toughest division in football. And I have a feeling that separation is going to continue. I'm going to go with the best receiver you've never never heard of, but you need to. Amon Ross St. Brown. Oh, he yeah. has been incredible this year for the Detroit Lions, and it started late last year. He is on a streak now of at least eight receptions in eight straight games. He's the third player in league history to accomplish that. The other two, Antonio Brown and Michael Thomas. Pretty good company for a young receiver in the National Football League. And, and, He's now the third player all-time under the age of 23 to record a touchdown catch in six straight games. He joins Randy Moss and Rob Gronkowski in that category. So anytime that you're in that, that stratosphere with Moss, Gronk, Antonio Brown, Michael Thomas, you're doing something right. And that's where Evan yeah. Ross St. Brown is. So uh, get to know who he is. One of the best players on the Lions and maybe only going to get better and better. He had yesterday nine catches, 116 receiving yards, 68 rushing yards, and two receiving touchdowns in that Lions win. Yeah, that, that 58-yard run that he had on the end around was a huge, huge play in that game. And you know what? Shout out to Jared Goff. One of the best games he's played in years. Four touchdowns, no interceptions. They played clean football in Detroit, and that's one of the big reasons why they were able to still pull out that victory. No turnovers yesterday. We may not agree on many things as it relates to Jared Goff, but I will agree that it is indeed one of the best games he's played in years. I will definitely agree with you on that. Let's take a break. (laughs) Not a good day for the Bengals. Not a good year for the Bengals. We'll break down their last second loss to the Cowboys when PFT Live continues right after this. Are you concerned or surprised they're two games that look so disjointed? No, because people are going to look back at two games last year and say something very similar. You know, and, and uh, so these these reactions always happen when you lose a game. It's a long season. That's what we tell our players. We're just going to take ownership in these losses and continue to get better. Um, you know, we, we know that we have a good football team. We've shot ourselves in the foot a little bit early on here in two games. Uh, long season yet to go, and, and our guys are going to continue to improve and play better and, and get some wins. Spoken like a man who received a contract extension in the offseason. He doesn't seem all that troubled by the fact that the Bengals have crapped the bed the first two weeks. I mean, they I can't remember if they won their second game last year, but I definitely remember they won their first game last year in overtime. I have a feeling they did start 2-0, and but I would have to confirm that. I'm violating my advice to Miles to just you're say right. it with authority and act <laughs> like you're right. But, um, yeah, look, I, I think of – something that Chris Sims and I talk about every year. And this was something that he shared with me when he started with us five years ago, the idea that as you start piling up losses to start a season, you, you develop a greater sense of urgency and concern and it becomes panic. And, you know, the Bengals are now 0 two, they're going to be pressing to get that third win. And they didn't seem to learn anything from what went wrong week one against the Steelers, that offensive line, 
is not good. It's not good enough. Maybe they'll be better. And, uh, you know, they, they changed out four of the starters, which tells you how bad it was last year. But so far, it's not keeping Joe Burrow from getting hit, from getting sacked, and it's keeping the team from scoring points. I, you know, Mike, I don't think it's just the offensive line at this point. Uh, you know, MDS pointed this out in a post on PFT this morning. <laughs> Joe Burrow right now is on pace to get sacked a preposterous 111 times this season. The, the record is 76, and that was on David Carr um, back with the expansion Houston Texans in 02 when I was, like, in fifth grade. Uh, but I, you look when, when you're talking about the Bengals and Burrow right now, it's like a systemic problem. It's not just, oh, the offensive line doesn't do X, Y, Z. It's Joe Burrow sometimes holds on to the ball too long. It's sometimes the protection isn't quite right at the snap, you know? So they've got a lot of things that they've got to really correct and look at. And frankly, I think that they should just go to more of a quick passing game and think of it more as like, you've got to speed up that clock in Joe Burrow's head. Let's get the ball out of his hands quickly. We've got Jamar Chase. We've got T Higgins. We've got Tyler Boyd. We've got Joe Mixon. We've got weapons. Just speed the darn thing up so you prevent him from getting hit so much because he's not going to last the whole season if he keeps getting hit like this. You can't take 13 sacks in the first two weeks of the season and then expect that everything is just going to be fine going forward. It's not. It's not fine now. You're 0-2. Something's got to change. By the way, they followed their Week 1 win last year over the Vikings with a loss at Chicago. They were 3-1. and one. Oh. They lost two in a row twice last year. They lost to the Jets in the put Mike White in the Hall of Fame game, then lost (laughs) to Cleveland 41-16. Then they lost to the Chargers and the 49ers back-to-back weeks, an overtime loss at home to the 49ers. So they have lost two in a row before, but you start 0-2. It's the first time since 1999 defending AFC champions started 0-2, and that was the Bubby Brister year for the Denver Broncos after John Elway retired after two straight championships in Denver. So not good company to be in because it ain't Bubby Brister playing quarterback. It's Joe Burrow under center for the Bengals. Speaking of the Broncos, Mm. you know, they won, but it feels like they lost. Mm -hmm. They beat the Texans 16-9, but I, I thought MDS was joking. When he said that the home crowd was counting down the play clock like it was a shot clock in basketball to help the Broncos get their plays off. Now, it it may have been kind of passive-aggressive where it's helpful, but it's also derisive that here we go again. They, they, they're taking forever to get the play in. They're taking forever to line up. They're taking, you know, the Broncos fans are smart. They're savvy. They know what they saw last week with all those struggles to get the play off. I've never heard of that happening in a football game where the home fans were counting down the play clock. Because when you do it in basketball, Miles, I mean, you're dribbling, you're moving, you're doing all that stuff. And I feel like Michael Scott now. When he's playing, yeah, you know, when he's playing basketball, you're doing all this stuff. You're not looking up the play clock. When you're the quarterback, it's right in front of your face. <laughs> you see it. You don't need help. It's amazing to me that this is happening. Mike, 
I, you know what? I, I wanted to give Nathaniel Hackett the benefit of the doubt after what happened last week. Like, it's the first game, it's this and it's that. But Nathaniel Hackett seems overwhelmed by the moment right now. And, and you know, we've talked about a lot of different teams. And, you know, you can look at the Miami Dolphins and look at a first-year, first-time head coach who is not overwhelmed by the moment, who has had his team ready for pretty much every situation that they've been in so far. The, the Denver Broncos took two delay of game penalties on a field goal yesterday on field goals. They had to call a timeout because they didn't have a returner back there for a punt. What is going on? This is day one stuff. And like, I, I, I like I said, you can give him the benefit of the doubt for some of these things, but like you need to be more prepared for the moment and you have to be able to rise to it. And like, I would have some concerns if I am the Walton Pinner the, uh, group that now owns the Denver Broncos about what's going on here, because why are we making all of these procedural errors? Now we can like laugh about the fact that the play clock's winding down and the home crowd is counting it out. But like, that's embarrassing. And you should not have that many concerns about taking a delay a game if you're a fan. So, like, Nathaniel Hackett needs to really get in the lab and figure out what he has to do to be his best self on game day. Maybe it's not calling offensive plays. And, like, I realize we're two games in on this, but you cannot be this overwhelmed by the moment as a head coach. You just can't. This happens to no one else. There's no other team that struggles to get their plays selected communicated and executed and let me tell you there's a little deer in the headlights with russell wilson too i mean he's in the middle of all of this at some point he needs to take charge i mean think about and and i know that this is not the best comparison richard sherman was talking about this in the aftermath of the game last week that russell didn't have the power to call the timeout at the end of the game against the seahawks and Peyton Manning has that power. Well, Peyton Manning's pretty much the only one who has that power. It's not. It's not like. Right. It's not like you know. This is some barometer for quarterbacks who who have greater authority. But at some point, Russell does need to take charge. It does feel like he's he's not complicit but helpless in all of this. That he's a bystander. He needs to be more than a bystander. As Nathaniel Hackett drives this this uh, you know train off the cliff. For the Denver Broncos. And and I agree with you. The new owners are smart enough to see through the BS. We spent a lot of time last week talking about the BS that was coming from Nathaniel Hackett in the aftermath of the Monday night game, his clunky and clumsy efforts to explain it away. Greg Penner and Rob Walton are smart enough to see through it. They're going to be alarmed by this. What happened yesterday has to be alarming, Miles. And Nathaniel Hackett has to turn it around. This cannot be the theme all year long. If it is the theme all year long, he will be one and done. Yeah. Look, they had an opportunity to kick a 59-yard field goal, and they didn't do it when they're at altitude. When last week you sent your kicker out as plan A for a 64-yard field goal in Seattle when you're not at altitude. These kinds of things are procedural process errors that make no sense and speak to how overwhelmed Nathaniel Hackett appears to be by the moment. And that's what I'm saying. You cannot have this stuff if you are a head coach and you just got, you know, this quarterback who's supposed to be there and be the future Hall of Famer and you pay him a lot of money and it's this and it's that. Like, you have to be able 
to get these simple, like day one things correct. Otherwise, you're probably not going to be there for very long. Hey, bottom line, it's the home opener in the regular season for new ownership and for Hackett and for Wilson, and they got booed. Here's Hackett after the game talking about the experience of getting booed by the home fans in his debut. Crowd, obviously, frustrated at times, but can you just give me a sense of overall? I don't blame I mean, heck, I mean, I'd, I'd be, I was booing myself. I mean, I was getting very frustrated. I mean, get down to the red zone two times, uh, don't get another touchdown, which is unbelievably frustrating. I don't think we've scored in there yet, and uh, that's something that all of our guys got to step it up, whether we run the ball more, whether whatever we're doing, we just got to execute at a higher level. I, I'm, I don't know how he communicates with ownership, but – Based upon the full body of the press conferences I've seen, I hope he's got a different style when he's across the table from Greg Penner, because I, I just the, I I think that 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 attitude you're going to get written off pretty quickly, and they're going to start looking for who their next coach is going to be, whether it's Sean Payton or someone else. They're not going to wait around. They're not going to let this get too far out of hand before they just acknowledge the people who hired Nathaniel Hackett. Before we bought the team, they made a mistake, and and we're going to rectify it. See, that's the thing. They've got no ego caught up in this, Miles. They didn't hire right. him. If yeah. he's not the guy, they're not going to double down and say, give him time. They're just going to rip the Band-Aid off. They're not going to mess around, and they can afford the buyout. They can afford yes. it. Walmart. Yep. Wait, wait. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. One, two. Walmart just made enough money to fund the buyout. There. Boom. It's over. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's still, uh, you know, before opening time here on the East Coast, or excuse me, the West Coast, I should say, I don't even know where I am. But yeah, I, I just I don't I don't think you should feel very good right now if you're like a Broncos fan about what's been put on the field in the first two weeks of the season. And like take nothing away from Houston. You know, they, they played well. They tried. They, they were out there. They get paid, too, as we said about other teams. But it's just like I said, it's the procedural process stuff where I mean, I. I think the 49ers can go in there next week. And if the Broncos continue to have like the same sort of errors that they've had against teams like Seattle and Houston, the Broncos could get run out of stadium. You know, like th- this could be something where the, the 49ers come in there and they blast them. A couple of weeks ago, I did the week one power rankings up the Broncos at 19. I had a lot of pissed off Broncos fans. I think they'd you be did. happy right now. They'd be ha- They were the most upset. Yeah. The most upset, and I think they'd be happy right now to be 19. That's the thing, Mike. When you have a, a new quarterback, a new head coach, you don't. That's no guarantee that things are going to be all fine and dandy and rosy. Like, do people forget like what was going on in Seattle? It's not like Russell Wilson has been, you know, the MVP of the league the last couple of years. I'm, I'm just saying, never got an MVP vote, and yeah. probably won't get one this year. All right, let's take a break. When we return, the Packers got a win, but it wasn't all positive for Green Bay. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. How do you feel about this one? Well, the second half was frustrating, but it's tough to win this league, so I'm very happy. Um, Just like them, we expected to win this game. Uh, So... You know, I'm not up here surprised about what happened. Felt like we had a good week of practice, and if we just played our game, that this was the type of outcome that could happen. But I'm disappointed in the second half. Uh, I, you know, screwed up the action on that uh, fumble 
with AJ and then Josh, you know, had the brain fart and snapped it on one instead of two. And that kind of killed the momentum. I don't feel like we had many bad drives all game. Not sure if we had uh, one three and out maybe, it seemed like. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we moved the ball really well. So I'm just trying to, again, temper expectations. And, and obviously I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this one tonight. But uh, we got a big one next week, tough road trip. It's got to be better. You know, this was better than week one, but we got to be better than this if we want to compete with Tampa. Hey, look, they got the victory. I understand. Uh, and, and not every game is going to be perfect. 27-10, you look at it and say, you know, that, that's just a classic butt-kicking football score. That's an old school, I kicked your butt, 27-10. Now, as we've learned, that would not be a safe lead in today's NFL in the fourth quarter. But if that's the score at the final gun, I've kicked your butt, I've won. But they do have things to work on because they're not going to be able to take that total package into Tampa Bay Miles and expect to win the game there. They're not going to be able to parlay that performance against a team that the Packers are accustomed to beating twice per year into rampant victory over all the teams they face on their schedule. No, but, you know, when you're still this early in the season, you're two games in, you're still trying to figure out exactly who you are as a team. And I think when you play a division opponent and you get that win like that at home, your defense plays well enough to only allow 70 passing yards to a quarterback in 2022, which is weird. And they've, they've got some stuff to work on on the run defense, but that's a positive there that you can look at and can say, all right, that's good. You look at what Aaron Jones was able to do. I mean, he had 132 yards on uh, 15 carries, got a rush touchdown, three receptions for 38 yards, another receiving touchdown. Like there were some good things that happened for the Packers. You know, look at the way they were able to harass Justin Fields here. I mean, you, you were able to see some good things, I think, from their defense when it comes to cutting off rush lanes and, and may really collapsing that pocket. Rasul Douglas had a really another a, a good game for them as well. I and mean, look at the way he gets into the backfield. I mean, I, I think that there are a lot of positives to take away from Green Bay from that standpoint. This is what you want to do. You want to be able to control your division. And that's the way they have started this season, at least against the Bears, right? That's the team you want to continue to own. Win the games you were supposed to win on your schedule. They did that. You can still get better. You may not be able to beat the Bucks like that, but you can still take things away in a positive manner, I think. And, and there was a moment in the fourth quarter where the game was still in dispute. The Bears were driving for a touchdown. There was the effort by Justin Fields to reach out and hit the pylon with the ball. That's always risky because if you lose control of it and it goes out of the end zone, it's a touchback. But his knee was down. They had the fourth down play. I don't know why they were lined up in shotgun. A lot of people upset about Ugh. that, and rightfully so. You just you line up and you bash it through. And then there was the question whether or not he actually got across. There wasn't a clear shot of the ball breaking the plane. There's the lunge on third down that came yeah. up short. And then the fourth down play, again, out of shotgun formation. And a long delay after that to determine that the ruling on the field was correct, that it was not a touchdown. That gave the Packers the ball back. That that would have made it 24-17 and that, you know, that would have that would have given the, the Bears a glimmer of hope. And I think Rogers' complaint is the performance of the offense in the second half should not have put the Bears in a position where they had a potential glimmer of hope. 
Yeah, and I can agree with him on that. There are definitely things that they need to clean up and correct. Look, the, the passing game is still not quite fluid. It feels like to me when I watch it with the Packers, and that's because, look, they, they're integrating a bunch of new guys, and you take Devontae Adams away from that and the chemistry that those two shared. Like, it, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be quite as fluid. So Sammy Watkins made some plays last night, though, man. I, I was kind of impressed. I was like, oh, look. Sammy Watkins out there, you know, he's doing some things. He's making some catches. So they, they have to continue to integrate those guys into it. But, you know, I, I think, like I said, there are still things that you can take away from this. And you're like, all right, well, that's that's you. You recognize the Packers, if that makes sense. Like we're last week, they were sort of unrecognizable. And it's like, oh, my God, what team is this against the Minnesota Vikings? And it, this now is the Green Bay Packers that you start to you have expected now under Matt LaFleur and it helped to have Aaron Jones get 132 rushing yards he added 38 receiving yards two total touchdowns on the night now the the, the, the receiving touchdown was one of those touch passes that is basically a handoff and and his receiving touchdown or his rushing touchdown excuse me there was an interpretation as to whether it was a receiving touchdown so either way he scored twice that helped the Packers tremendously you mentioned Sammy Watkins three catches 93 yards he had a long 55 yarder Alan Lazard played last night and had a touchdown reception even though he only had two catches for 13 yards they spread the ball around they didn't really explode offensively 234 receiving yards is not a classic high-end Aaron Rodgers night but still they got it done. They checked the box. And now they keep working to try to get better because this week they they have to take it to Tampa. And the last time they played in Tampa, they got their butts kicked. Yeah, well, and that's the that's the, the charge now. It's like, okay, how do we continue this positive energy that we've built over the last week by playing the Bears? I mean, they had a get-right game, right? I mean, they needed one, and they got the right opponent. And they were at home. They were under the lights in Lambeau. I'm sure that crowd was as juiced up as ever. And they got right against the Bears exactly as they needed to. So now how do we carry that into Buccaneers week? We'll see. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll do the week two Sunday statement draft when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. This win tonight. The best part had to be getting that game-winning interception to seal the deal. How was, how was last week's practice? Because I know coming off a disappointing loss, but how was the week of practice from, from a defensive perspective? Oh, uh, man, it was much more communication. Uh, we, we just all got on the same page this week, man. That was important, and uh, we came out here and got it done. Hey, look, I got to ask this, man, because I don't know what it feels like to be the highest penny, but, man, this, this is a nice piece of jewelry right there. Hey, <laughs> that's cost more than what Jack makes in a year. Oh, this is just a little investment. It's just a little investment. Jagger Alexander with Rodney Harrison and Jack Collinsworth. Sunday night football final available on Peacock on demand until 7 p.m. Eastern tonight. Week two Sunday statement time. Miles, you're up. Give me two a tongue of Iloa. I mean, what a performance by him. Anytime you're getting six touchdowns, that says a lot. And to be able to bring the team back as he did. We said it earlier in the show. He was the st- the straw that stirred the drink. And you have to be that. And look, it, it's just a performance that Tua can now really build upon, I think. And that's the kind of thing that they need down there in Miami. We'll see if he can continue to stack those blocks. 
You know, we played the sound earlier um, from Dan Campbell praising Aiden Hutchinson, but three sacks in only his second NFL game. And to justify really high position in the draft, I remember when Mario Williams was the first pick of the Texans instead of Reggie Bush or Vince Young. It's like, hey, he's got to have three sacks a game to to compare favorably to an offensive player. Well, Hutchinson had his three sacks. He'll compare favorably to whatever offensive player they could have taken in that spot. Yeah, no doubt. And that's a really, really good game and probably something that you know he certainly wants to get off, especially early in his career. Uh, my second one, give me Jalen Ramsey from, as you like to call them, my Los Angeles Rams. Uh, that He had a uh, not-so-great performance against Buffalo in Week 1. I think we all saw it. But, you know, yesterday he was able to make a game-saving play, right? Here you see the interception. He goes up and he mosses. The Falcons receiver. I don't know if we can say that on this network. Oh, well, I just did. Oh, we can't. No, we can't. Okay. Oh, darn it. No, I guess I'll put, uh, you know, $2 in the kitty or whatever. But he had a nice game, and then he goes off on the sidelines, and he starts saying, oh, I'm him. I love it when you write me off. And I don't know how much of how many of us were really writing him off after a bad game. Like, that thing happens, you know? Like, you're going to get beat as a cornerback or defensive back in the NFL, but for him to make the play when he made it, I mean, that's what the Rams pay Jalen Ramsey for. That's what they pay Aaron Donald for. So you have those two elite guys on that defense. Um. And, and hey, he really did have a bad week one game, so it was great to see him turn it around and perform when the Rams needed it. I'm going to go with Garrett Wilson, the Jets receiver. I didn't get to this earlier, but I talked to him about the game-winning touchdown. He's got maturity and wisdom for a guy who's only in his second game. He comes out, he lines up, he sees the Browns in a defense they had used earlier against that same play. He knew where the opening was going to be. He sped up his route. He ducked around a defensive back, and he was open for the touchdown. And it was just one of those things where you don't expect a guy this early in his career to be figuring things like that out. Oh, and he did make a statement back in Ohio, yelling out OH to the Browns fans. And he seemed to be very animated and very pointed in directing at someone. He said, no, it just kind of the moment took over him. But back in Ohio, his home state, 100 yards receiving, two touchdowns, and his first ever NFL win, Miles. Yeah, that's very nice for him as a fellow Ohio native. Congrats, even though you beat my Cleveland Browns. Uh, for my last pick, let's go with Trevor Lawrence and Christian Kirk. We'll give them a duo. And you know what? I, I think that they play pretty well as a pair. They showed some chemistry. You know, Lawrence was really solid in that game against the Indianapolis Colts. He was 25 of 30, 235, two touchdowns. And honestly, when you look at what the Jaguars are going to be, this year this is more the team I thought we would see and kind of what it was at least early on against the Washington Commanders and then late once they blew that lead Christian Kirk obviously got that big contract caught all six of his targets had 78 yards two touchdowns at one point the Jaguars put out some tweet referencing the contract that was like worth every cent or worth every dollar whatever it was But yesterday, he absolutely was. And that's the kind of thing that the Jaguars are going to need if they're going to be competitive in the AFC South. And right now, it looks like they will be. I I agree with you. And it is amazing to see this team turning it around. It goes back to that Colts game last year, Week 18. Trevor Lawrence really kind of came of age in a game the Jaguars didn't need, knocked the Colts out of the playoffs or kept them from getting there. Same thing. I will go with the Buccaneers' defense. And I know that, I know that, 
it's a little broader than we're supposed to, but I don't care because they stepped up when they needed to. They kept the game close when the Buccaneers weren't scoring points, and then they lowered the boom in the second half with multiple interceptions of Jameis Winston. Jamel Dean had two himself. There was a pick six. It was a thing of beauty for that Bucks defense. And when Todd Bowles takes over as the head coach, the defensive coordinator, he wants more of a grinded-out effort. He wants more running. He wants better defense, and he got better defense yesterday. By the way, updating what we discussed earlier, and I tweeted this during a commercial break. The NFL is looking today at all aspects of the fight yesterday in the Saints-Bucks game, including sidelines. And I got that information when specifically asking about Bruce Arians and whether or not he will be removed or there'll be some sanction, but he clearly was mouthing off and instigating whatever it was that happened. So stay tuned for that. Let's take a break. Stay tuned tonight. An overlapping doubleheader with two games being played at once. I didn't like it last week. I don't like it right now, and I'm really going to hate it tonight because I want to watch one game at a time. We'll get you ready for Titans, Bills, and Vikings, Eagles when PFT Live continues right after this. Two games tonight, overlapping doubleheader. It's only being done once this year. I think they're going to do it three times per year in the future. This is kind of an experiment, but I don't think they're going to abandon it. The idea is it doesn't extend the fans' commitment into a full six hours like the traditional week one that is now scrapped Monday night doubleheader used to do. You'd start at 7, you'd be going till 1 o'clock after watching football all day the day before. This starts at 7. The second game starts at 8.30. I think it's 7.15 and 8.30. Whatever it is, the games overlap. And, yeah, 7.15 and 8.30. I don't like it. I I, I understand why they're doing it. I think I don't like it because I want to watch one game at a time, especially in prime time. We're conditioned to watch one game at a time in prime time. Yeah, that's true. And we're going to have to, I guess, change our conditioning. I don't necessarily love it either. It kind of reminds me of like the NCAA tournament, you know, where you get the one game starting and then the next game starting. But those are the low round games. These are these are the prime games, baby. You know, we got Bills Titans. That's a that's a really good AFC matchup with two first place teams last year. And Vikings Eagles should be a good one, too. So I don't know. The good news is that See, I stream on YouTube TV, and you can fast-forward and you can pause without playing whack-a-mole slash pin the tail on the donkey to figure out where you are. So kudos to YouTube TV for figuring out the whole pause and fast-forward dynamic. But, yeah, watch both games tonight. See what happens tonight. We'll be talking about it tomorrow. Two games to break down. Titans-Bills, Vikings-Eagles, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who to pick. I'm done picking. Whatever I do, take the opposite. Good job, Miles. See everybody Tuesday morning. Have a great Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.